1: sauce
3: Today
4: we celebrate fatherhood and we're doing so by sharing a father's powerful testimony about how you can turn life's greatest obstacles into opportunities. Today we chat with Mason Sawyer a dad, public speaker, and fellow podcaster. He shares his personal journey about loss and trials and encourages all of us to use the ten ninety rule. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you handle it. We read the books, we bought the things. We thought we were ready. And then life took our plans and changed them. I'm Karen, I'm Victoria's mommy, and I work in tech. And I'm Pamela.
5: I have a baby boy named Ford, and I'm a journalist. And although we're both
4: first-time working moms,
5: we're actually pretty different.
4: And that's totally okay, because we both agree that our most important work is raising our kids. We really need each other and can only get through this together. Welcome to Motherish Moments. Hi,
5: Pamela. Hello, Karen. How are you? Good. So happy Father's Day to Juan. Oh yes, and to my dad, and to your dad, and to Jordan Ford's dad, yes. and to all the daddies out there. I'm excited for this episode. Because the daddies and the daddies. <laughs> I <I'm-> know. <laughs>
2: I like that I'm on the Motherish podcast, but we're doing an episode on fathers. That's good for you. That's yes, great. No.
5: So that's Mason. He's our guest, and we'll get to hear a little bit more about him and his testimony in a second. But why don't we start
4: with our Motherish moment of the week? I could jump in. Um, so for Victoria's birthday, someone gifted her, I guess, I would assume this is her first digital camera, which I was like, at first I was like, what is she gonna do with the digital camera? I don't know. But it actually like takes photos and like the battery never dies. It's a very interesting, very interesting device. But she has been taking photos of everything, every moment, all the time, all day, every day. And it's so cute because like the other night I was like, let's look through all the pictures that you took. And she's documenting life. And it's great because it's so I mean, I take photos of her, but she's taking photos of me. <laughs> like her perspective and her perspective and the dog and a rock. The other day she was like three trees. I'm gonna take a photo of three trees. But I think it's cute because you also get to see like their level of mindfulness. On one of the episodes that um, remember that we did a mindfulness mm-hmm. uh, life episode, and like they talk about how children are, are naturally. naturally mindful, and as we get older, we you know we get caught up with like our stress and the things that we think about or whatever. And think our, our to do list, and we lose that mindfulness, and so going through her camera roll essentially was like a look into her mindfulness and how she's so aware of all of her surroundings. And I thought it was super cute. Actually,
5: my mother's moment, I mean, I guess that there's there's a few of them because I feel like Ford, my son turned three and he became like another child, <laughs> like a switch turned on. And he's just so much more like independent and calm and verbal. And he's like another kid. It's the cutest thing ever. So there's a lot of positive to it. I'm excited for this season. But now that you mentioned the camera, it just reminded me. So this week, I committed myself to actually gathering all his digital galleries of photos. So for the first three years of his life, especially the first two years, I photographed him a lot. I was (laughs) obsessed with doing like actual nice pictures. I'm not a great picture taker. So I really invested in like just having someone come in and do the pictures and do me and, you know, him and I. Um, And then I realized all these galleries and all these digital pictures are like somewhere in the cloud, somewhere in some email, which I'm not great at managing either. So I kind of want to get them all together and just like use one of those like online sites and just actually print albums. Like that's my goal for the next month. I want to actually have all these pictures that I did with him, you know, in the first three years of his life and just print them because I feel like we don't actually have pictures anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you the other day, I realized like a few weeks ago for his birthday for school, he had to present a poster board about his life. You know, and it was a newborn picture, a picture from his first birthday, a picture from his second birthday. And, you know, now him as a three year old, I literally had to scramble, rush to a pharmacy, try to, you know, have my assistant email them, you know, print it out. Like, I realized we don't have printed pictures and it's such a sad thing. You're right. Because I feel like when we grew up, I mean, I don't have a lot of pictures, but at least we have some pictures like yeah. we could look at and touch and share. So that's kind of what I'm committed to. So if that's you guys a big have,
4: undertaking and expensive online.
5: Yeah, but I actually hear there's like kind of... You can just... You have some that like automatically populate
4: themselves. I'm yeah, not that picky. I just yeah. kind of want to get them books. out there, yeah.
5: print so, it, and just have it with me
4: in my coffee, in my table, in my... I, don't I know. use chat books for a while which is an app and then it could automatically like sort you know photos of right November that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. whatever
5: but then it's, I remember when people be like if your house is burning down what are the three things you would grab and everyone would usually say the picture of my grandparents you know things that are so hard to replace like we wouldn't do that we our pictures are like what on our, are you everyone would just running at their phone right pretty much
4: I'm usually concerned, like, what am I going to be wearing in that moment? Like,
5: am I going to be wearing pants? It's a big thought for me all the time. It's so funny. You know, my grandma used to say that while she would push us to dress up, you know, in Peru, like, we were formal and you dress up to like, she's like, you know, if God forbid, like, if you pass this day, like, if you... You know, like if you go to heaven, like this is what you're wearing in heaven.
4: <laughs> oh my god. The whole time. She'd be very disappointed in me most so of the like <laughs>
5: Okay. Anyhow, so those are our Motherish moments and we're gonna ask Mason before we formally introduce him to share his fatherish moment of the week. Hi Mason, welcome to motherish. It's
2: awesome to be here. I was in Virginia this week doing a speaking thing and so I call Blue, you know, every night before he'd go to bed and one memory i have when he asked me that is i call him one night and it's just you know it's not going to sound like much but the way he said it i I just call him and he answers like hey daddy like just like that how old is blue now he's five he'll be six in a couple months i'm speaking at juvenile detention center so i'm speaking to kids who like usually don't have good parents at all Mm. and it's just making me miss blue so much and it's making me feel so bad like why am i on the road i should be home with blue so i call him and blue's Blue's just so happy and hey daddy. So I get home from Virginia. You know, we're talking and, and I tell him about the trip. And then Blue goes, he says, Hey daddy, I have something for you. I'm like, all right, what? And he turns around and he farts. Just rips a big <laughs> I'm like, what? It was uh yeah, it was just the funniest thing. Blue's the funniest kid. And then I got one more for you that happened. This happened yesterday too. So I'm I'm a big one wheeling guy. I don't know if you've heard of one what is that no basically it's like a skateboard with one wheel powers itself it's pretty cool okay so
5: an actual one wheel okay i thought it was like a term for like yeah
2: like <laughs> it's one big wheel in the middle with like pads on the side that you ride like a snowboard almost so every night when we go to bed every night when i tuck blue in i ask blue three questions i say blue what do you do when you fall down he says i get back up And then I ask him, is life fair? And he says, no, life's not fair. And then I ask him to pick a number one through 10. And whatever number he picks, that's how many kisses I give him. So we do that every night. Every night I ask him those three questions. So this was really cool. This is a really cool, proud father moment I had yesterday. So we're one wheel in and Blue goes down. He falls, he crashes. So he falls down and it's, you know, it's a pretty bad fall, especially for a five-year-old, like, And I didn't even say anything. I just kind of watched him. And he just looked at me, looked at the one wheel. He stood back up, kind of dusted himself off. (laughs) Every time he falls, I tell him. I say, hey, Blue, what do you do when you fall down? And so I said it this time. And he was so fed up. Like I didn't even finish asking him I was like I know dad get back up And he got back (laughs) up and we kept going So it was just like this kid's figuring it out
4: I love it because you think they're gonna go Like in the cutesy sweet way But then it's like no actually like He gets it but also He's a kid like you know That's so cute
0: When you buy a new house You might say
4: Shut the front door Winning No seriously shut the front door we own this house now
5: So Mason, like we mentioned, he's a public speaker. He's a dad, of course, and he's also a podcaster. I came across this video that went, I want to say it went viral because I had a few people, I don't know, somehow it, and actually my algorithm picked up on it. So it's him speaking. I don't know. and He could tell us more about it, but I don't know in what context it was. Kind of like sharing what had happened to him. And then... You know, it was very moving and inspirational and it just kind of like tackled this whole 1090 approach. So I want Mason to kind of share his personal story, what happened to him and how he came up with this 1090 concept.
2: Thanks for the opportunity to share my story. Before I share my story, I'm on the Motherish podcast and I have an unbelievable mom. She's amazing and I love her and I'm grateful for her. I don't know where I'd be without her. I think being a mom is, it's like the coolest thing. Like I get the feminist thing, like I'm not just a mom, I'm more than a mom. Like I get it, (laughs) but like motherhood is is so important. You know, motherhood and fatherhood, I think there's the two biggest roles you can ever have in your life. It'd be a mistake for me if I didn't thank my mom. Um, And then my mother-in-law, a wonderful mother-in-law. And my wife was a wonderful wife and mother as well. So I've been surrounded by amazing mothers in my life and you know people ask me all the time like how are you so strong and how are you able to do this and do that and like well i have a lot of good like mothers man and there's just something about it so i love I love the name of your podcast. Oh,
3: thank
2: you. I love what you guys are doing. Cause I think motherhood's no joke. And yeah, like be a CEO and be a lawyer and be all the stuff. Like go for it. But maybe I'm just the typical white guy mansplaining again. I don't know. But <laughs> no. like, at the end of the day, no. like, being a mother's kick ass, man. And like that's that's powerful stuff. So my story, I love basketball growing up. And I never thought I'd have a girlfriend because you know, my mind was always on ball. And then I met this girl named Courtney when we were 15 and we started dating and we go to every high school dance together. It's like the Hollywood movie thing, honestly, like just like never got in a fight. Every school dance. We were voted in, in high school most likely to marry your high school sweetheart, Aww. which we did. We got married. I, I mean, I remember one time I, I was a good basketball player in high school and I remember I got invited to this all-star game like for the best basketball players in the state in high school and i was so excited to go but it was on the exact same night as a school dance i was going with with courtney and me and courtney just barely started hanging out so i'm like panicking like <laughs> i want to go to this all-star game so bad but i also asked this girl to this dance i don't know what to do so i go up to courtney i'm like hey this is the deal and this is how cool courtney was courtney's like oh like that's so cool that you're that you're that good at basketball she's like how about this how about instead of doing the day event thing with our group, because you know how you go to a group mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. these dances. She's like, instead of that, I'll just come watch you. I'll come to your game and watch you, and I'll just come in my dress, and I'll have my hair done already and stuff, and and we'll do that, and then we'll just go to the dance right after, and we'll be a little late to the dance, but it'll be fine. I'm like, who is this girl? I, I'm like, <laughs> that was like the first sign for me. I'm like, all right, this girl is uh, special. This is cool. So we date all through high school, we get married. I played college basketball in Southern Utah for a Division II school called Dixie State. It's now called Utah Tech. Courtney gets into the nursing program there and becomes a nurse. And then we start having a little family. We have two little boys, Riggins and Blue, who I just talked about. And then we had a daughter, Frankie. And I became the basketball coach at my old high school. Mm -hmm. Courtney was a nurse. And we were just like the normal... American middle class family, like nothing special. Just we loved each other. We loved our family and we loved our little life that we had. And then one day I got a phone call about a job offer. About four hours away in Southern Utah, this place called Nets on Fire. And it's so weird. They literally call me with my dream job. They call me like, hey, we want you to run our basketball operations. We want you to be our basketball skills trainer. We want you to help us put AAU basketball teams together and travel and coach. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, we'll pay you this much. And I'm like, sign me up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I tell Courtney and she's like, seriously? I'm like, I know, right? Like it's too good to be true almost. So we pack up our little family and we move to St. George, Utah. Ironically, that's where I played college basketball. We love this place and we love St. George. So we're starting our new careers and um, Another cool thing about living in St. George is I have an older brother, Race, that lives there with his wife and three kids. I'm the youngest of five. Wow. And I love my siblings. So the fact that I got to be that close to Race again was awesome. So anyway, just trying to paint a quick picture for you. Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of how we came to be, our little family. And we just took these new jobs. And then we had a family reunion a couple weeks after we started these new new jobs and I never miss a family reunion we usually always go but this year like I just took on this new job I didn't feel like I could leave the first weekend of our big basketball tournament like I I gotta show them I'm serious and I mean business like I literally just took the job I right like you couldn't take time off tournament. so fast right so I'm like, I don't think we can go I tell my family like hey Courtney and I we're not coming this year we'll catch you guys next year and, and everyone was fine with it like yeah okay And then that Friday rolls around and Courtney's like, hey, you're going to be coaching all weekend. I'm just going to take the kids to the family reunion. There's going to be a lake there. Get out of the heat. It'll be fun. It'll be great. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. You should call my brother, Race, and Keisha and see when they're leaving. Because they're going to the same family reunion, same family. So I'm like, you should uh, carpool them or, you know, ride with them. And she's like, yeah, I'll give them a call. So Courtney calls them and. Race and Keisha, they kind of have the same thing going. Not all of them can go. So Race is able to go to the family reunion with his youngest son, Ryder, who is 12. And so they ride with my family to the family reunion. And then on the way home that Sunday from that family reunion, there a big dust storm picked up. I didn't even know this was a, a thing, really. But a big dust storm picked up out of nowhere and blacked out the highway that they were driving on. And it caused a terrible 22-car pileup, and eight people died. And five of those eight people were our family. Um, and I remember the doctor... I, I remember I was just in my bedroom waiting for them to come home, and my phone rings, and it's the doctor. He's like, hey, I'm Dr. So-and-so from hospital... Uh, There's been a terrible car accident. And he said, everyone's dead except one person. So, you know, a lot of it's just a blur. But I remember falling to the ground. Have you, have you, you guys have heard of the stages of grief, right? Like anger, denial, acceptance, bargaining. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that. But I was just spinning. I was in each one for like 10 seconds. Like I'd be in shock and denial. I remember asking the guy, like, you're kidding. He's like, no, I I'm sorry, I wish I was kidding. And, and I, I just going through all of them. But then every once in a while, like, the acceptance guy, the survivor guy would be like, hey, like, you got to pick up the phone. Like, you got to, like, keep going, dude. I don't even know how long I'm on the ground crying, but I'm on the ground crying, and I see my phone next to me. And I remember, uh, you know, one survivor, just those words are kind of echoing in my brain. And it was just an automatic response. But I started, like thinking you know who is it who do I want it to be type of thing and I remember being so scared that it was going to be race my brother race because oh my brother race is my older brother He was a state championship wrestler it's like tough tough guy and I remember thinking like if anyone's going to survive a car accident it's going to be my brother race and I was terrified and I was you know basically praying with God like please don't let it be race and That caused a lot of guilt for me to, I was basically hoping my brother was dead. And trauma is a weird thing because a a part of me knows, like, Mace, like, you don't need to feel bad for that. Like, people get it. Like, race would get it. So I get it. But then there's another part of me that, like, legit just hates myself and thinks I'm a piece of shit all the time. So I pick up the phone and I'm like, please don't be race. And and he said the survivor is a three-year-old. So I fall back down to the ground and I just kind of losing it because my wife's gone and the car accident was so brutal they didn't even let me see i they said i could see her hand like we'll let you see courtney's hand um and it's so it's so weird because you hear it your whole life like you know every day could be could be your last like tell your loved ones you love them or like all that stuff and you just never You never think it's gonna happen to you. But life's a fragile thing. So my wife Courtney's gone. Um, My son Riggins is gone. My brother Race is gone. My nephew Ryder's gone. And I'm really confused and just heartbroken and just shattered. So I'm really confused. But three-year-old, that could mean my son Blue or that could mean my daughter Frankie. They're both around that age and I'm not ready to let either of them go. I'm kind of hanging on to both of them at this point. And so we're going back and forth and, and I don't really remember what we're talking about, but I do remember saying, Oh, I, the survivors, my daughter, Frankie, you have my daughter. And he says, no, this is not a girl. This is a boy, blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, it's an indescribable feeling to think that your son is dead. And then the doctor's telling you like, no, like we have your kid here, blonde hair, blue eyes. But then, um, you know, it was connected with, well blues alive but now that means you Frankie's gone so that that crossover the whole phone call messed me up but that was that messed me up too so they said we're life flight the survivor to the hospital which is a four-hour drive for me and so I have to drive four hours to get there and I have to drive through the accident to get there and I get to the hospital It's full of nurses, of course, because Courtney was a nurse. You know, it just it felt like it, sometimes life feels like like God's just picking it on you. Almost. Mm. Like, like, give me a flat tire. Give me a make him stay a, one minute longer at the gas station they stopped at or let him sleep in or give him a red light. Like there's a million things, man. And it just feels like it all added up like it was supposed to happen sometimes like they were there at that spot at the right time in the right moment so I get to the hospital and and Blue's there and he had some deep cuts on his head and a broken hand but he was fine Um, and we're still trying to figure out what exactly he saw and what he remembers when he was pulled out of that car but yeah we spent one night in the hospital and then we walked out the next day into our new life and you know I've dealt with depression, grief, anxiety, panic attacks, PTSD, but survivor's guilt is the worst one.
5: You know, this is obviously, I knew the story. I don't know if Karen knew a little bit of the story, but even hearing it again, hearing all the details, it really is heartbreaking. And it really is hard to even start to comprehend how you were able to manage all that. My question now is, When do you decide to share this story publicly and why was it important for you to to get out there, you know, and become a public speaker based on this on this testimony?
2: The first year after the accident, it's probably everything you would imagine. I'm just doing anything to numb the pain. So alcohol, drugs, sleeping pills, laying in bed. And then I go to therapy and I'm on my eighth and ninth therapist, which I do think is worth mentioning because therapy's awesome. I used to think therapy was for weak people. So now like, I'm all for it. But like, hey, you gotta shop around a minute. Like if you're buying a car or a house, like you look around. So don't just hate the first therapist and shut it down. Anyway, we're in our first therapy session with this guy. And and this is a guy that's, he's good at dealing with people who have heavy amounts of trauma. He's an expert, like he's been doing it for a while. And so our first therapy session, he tells me, because I give him my sad story, and I'm really feeling sorry for myself. And he looks at me, and he goes, Mace, uh, this car accident isn't about you, and it's not about Blue. And I'm like, what? And he's like, Mason, if, if you wanted to go down this road of uh, poor me, why me, and drink yourself to death, or, or take your own life, he's like, I wouldn't blame you. I don't think anyone would blame you. And I'm like, what? Can you say that? <laughs> like, I'll do it, man. <laughs> He's like, Mason, this is an opportunity. And I hate, like, when he first said it, I wanted to throw up almost. He's like, this is an opportunity for you to help so many people. And then he said, he said, Mason, tomorrow someone's going to lose a wife. Someone's going to lose a son. Someone's going to lose a daughter. Someone's going to lose a brother. Someone's going to lose a nephew. You could help all of them if you choose to handle it the right way. And then he said, Mason, give me some emotions that you feel. I'm like, I feel alone. No one gets me. Feeling alone is is the worst, it is not a good feeling. Like I feel alone and I feel powerless. He's like, yeah, Like there's so many people like that. And he said, you can help them. And he he kept using the verbiage, we over me. We is more important than me. And listen, when I wake up and I cry, usually most mornings, and trauma makes you really selfish. Just net it does because you wake up and, and I think about my wife and my son and my daughter and my brother and my nephew. I don't have room in here for anyone else's problems. Like, I it's just the reality. I'm just being honest with you. Like, I'm sorry, I don't have time for that right now. And so, trauma makes you really selfish. And one thing I've learned is when I think about me, I can't do it. Like, life sucks and it's not worth living. But when I think about the we and how we're all in this together and we're all hurting. And if I can talk about my pain, it kind of gets spread out to other people. There's just something about it when you open up and talk. It's doable. It's manageable. And so when I think about the we and I wake up, I'm like, oh, I get to share my message to a juvenile detention center in Virginia or a construction company in Texas. Like whatever it is, if I can think about other people and trying to help them not only is life worth living, but it's good, man. There's good parts in my life. I have a really cool opportunity to talk about my pain, especially for guys to try to help them open up more. Mm. But back to your question, like what started me wanting to talk about it is I left that therapy session. I'm like, okay, I want to help people. So I'm like, I need to go back to school. I need to get a master's degree in in psychology and become a therapist. Like, that's what I thought. And I'm like, I can't do a master's program right now. I have trauma (laughs) brain. Like, I can't. There's no way I can do that. I'm like, well, so how can I help people? And the world we're currently living in today, there's podcasts. Like, everyone has a podcast. So I'm like, well, what if I start a podcast and then on the anniversary of the car accident, so the car accident happened in 21. So on July 25th, 2022, I kind of scheduled a speaking event and I, it was totally free. I invited anyone who wanted to come hear me speak. And I basically talked about the night of the accident, talked about my story, talked about my pain, talked about what I'm going to try to do with my pain. And I talked for an hour and 20 minutes and it was packed. 250 people showed up. I think the last time I heard there was like 10,000 views on YouTube or whatever. I don't know. But that changed my life because... From that event, people just started reaching out to me. Can you come speak to our high school? Can you come speak to my law firm? Can you come speak to our boys' home? Can you come? Why spe- did you
5: brand that ten ninety? How did that mentality oh, help you change your perspective?
2: So my dad, he sent me a quote. A couple people have said it. Lou Holtz, a famous football coach, is one of them. But he sent me a quote that basically said, "Life's ten percent what happens to you, and ninety percent what you're gonna do about it." And my dad kind of gave me the same story that my therapist gave me. He's like, Mason, I don't know why it happened. I don't get why it happened. Uh, I love you so much. I'm so sorry. I wish I could take your pain away. But he basically said, but this is where we're at. This is our reality. So like, what are you going to do? And that's the real test of a man. That's the real test of a woman. that. that what are you going to do when life gets shitty and when disaster strikes? That That's going to show you who you are. And one thing I've learned is pain and adversity will show you who you are and if you don't like what you see love will allow you to change but that's kind of where i'm at right now but i talk about my pain and share my experience but hey like um i struggle like i go through hell i'm not a guy full of answers like i don't really know what i'm doing i'm just fighting like hell to stay alive and we're in this together man it's not about you it's about other people and that perception
1: Novel.com para detalles.
3: Si no sabes que el Spicy McCrispy tiene spicy pepper sauce en el pan de arriba y en el pan de abajo, ¿qué sabes tú de la vida? Para, pa, pa, pa.
4: Through this journey, have other people opened up with you as well? And, and if so, what is that experience like for you?
2: It's been insane. Like the law of attraction thing, but ever since... My friend and I, Sam, Sam's my co-host, just like you guys are co-hosts. The messages we get are, um, they're unbelievable, honestly. It's been incredible. The amount of pain and things people are going through and connecting with them has been special. I have so many stories of people reaching out to me, going through all sorts of stuff. Um, And that's what we do at 1090. We're trying to create a culture of, okay, when disaster strikes, what are some common healthy things we do that helps? And so, t- what we do on our podcast is we invite people on and they talk about their 10%. It's like what the terrible stuff that they've gone through. And we've had, I mean, we have some heavy episodes. Like, we interviewed this one couple, they're hiking with their two daughters, and Flash Flood rips their daughters out of their hands, drowned to death, gone. Like, so we have like some heavy stuff at 1090, but we talk about it and. There's just something to it. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But when you open up and talk about your pain, it helps. And then the next step after that is once you've talked about your pain, you can't be a victim. So you can't talk about your pain and then look for handouts. You got to talk about your pain and then find a way to help other people with your pain. That's where it gets dicey is you talked about it. Great. Now, what are you going to do? And then real quick, and then you guys can jump in and cut me off because I get (laughs) rambling sometimes. Ah, see, now I forgot what I was going to say. It was going to be good, though. It's not easy, but I went to Virginia, and I just cried. And Do you know how scary it is to cry in front of, like, disturbed teenagers who don't give three shits about your story? They don't care. Do you know how scary it is to stand up there and cry and show them a picture of your dead daughter? Like, scary stuff. Scary stuff. But those kids loved it, man. Like, you put yourself out there, you're honest and genuine, you're gonna get honest and genuine people back to you in your life.
5: It's a vulnerability. I'm curious to know, Mason, how did um? How has fatherhood been with Blue? It's also been, cause not only are you healing yourself, but you're also being protective, I'm assuming, and trying to provide and be the best version of yourself for your son, Blue. How has this process been and how did fatherhood change for you?
2: Fatherhood, it's hard being a single dad. It's just different now, but I was a good dad before the accident. But it was easy because, you know, you discipline your kids, you get mad at your kids or whatever. And then, you know, the mom's there to like hugs and kiss them, or vice versa. Like if Courtney would get mad at him, like you, it's just teamwork. And I do think if you want to be a good dad, the best thing you can do is have a good mom. It's hard. Being a single dad's hard. And I have a cool platform, like being a 1090 and, and being a public speaker is cool. And people listen to me now. And that's the other thing. It's not its not like I'm this wise person. I say normal shit. The only reason people listen to me is I have a sad story attached to it. That's the only reason. Listen, being a father is more than enough to keep me here and keep me going and keep me inspired to go to work and to provide. To mm-hmm. love being a father. It's hard, though. If I discipline Blue, if I rip into Blue, because I was a head basketball coach. I'm kind of just, you know, been naturally hard on my kids. And now when I do it, you can just see it on Blue's face. He's got nowhere to turn now. And so when I discipline him, I know his mind goes to where's mom, where's Riggins, where's Frankie, where's... Blue went from loving parents, middle child to single dad dealing with PTSD, depression, grief survivor's guilt only child like it's just different the bond that i have with blue is incredible i love that kid more than anything and i would do absolutely anything for that kid and after the accident i wanted to die and i still i still do um at least a part of me does because the pain doesn't stop the pain doesn't stop Like, time heals all wounds. Like, bullshit. Give me a break. (laughs) So, like, life's weird when you don't mind death. Like, when you have people on the other side, you really want to see people on the other side that you love more than you. Like, life gets kind of... There's a lot of dark humor all of a sudden in life. I just wanted to die because the pain would stop or at least maybe I'd see him again. And both of those sound great. But the only thing that kept me here was Blue and being a dad.
5: Wow. Um what type of kid is blue I'm, I'm i'm curious like is he um like a normal 5
4: 6 year old you know like i mean he farted on him, <laughs> so i think <laughs> i think i think maybe yes
2: <laughs> you know he's a everyone adores blue wherever he goes just a cool funny kind of a fearless kid and you know my favorite thing about blue is i see a little bit of Courtney in him i see a little frankie in him i see a little riggins in him yeah, he's everything to me. But he's he's a happy kid. Yeah, just a normal kid likes dinosaurs. He's in kindergarten right now. Teaching him how to one wheel. So
4: Mason, what? Um, let's say you take thirty seconds now to kind of dream really big, uh, in in terms of what you can accomplish with ten ninety. What's like a big thing that you would love to do with this platform that you've created with your your intentions and you know your mission really
2: I think that's a really good question I was in a a meeting one time like a business meeting and we hired this guy to come in to like help us like improve and one question he asked us is write down like your biggest dream like what is the absolute where do you see this thing like totally unrealistic like but what do you think because we all have those thoughts Mm-hmm. And so I, ha- I have those thoughts too. I would love it if seven twenty-five, like that date, like people just thought about like what was most important. I think it's no secret that the, the number one thing that makes people happy is relationships and people. And you know, technology and all that stuff is really cool, but like. Like communication and talking to people, we just don't do it like we used to. Mm. I just want ten ninety to to like make you think, like make you think about your life like what do you value? like what are you really worried about? what do you <laughs> the things I used to stress about before the car accident is just like I don't even know what I used to stress about, so just like helping people and trying to get them to reflect and maybe shift their perspective and help them understand like the worst thing about your life, the hardest things you go through are actually the most beautiful, and the obstacle is the way. You can't run from your pain. You have to face it head on, and you have to have that mindset of, you know, bring it on. I'm not going to run away. There's a stoic quote that I love from Marcus Aurelius that says, when death smiles upon us all, all a man can do is smile back. And I'm just trying to help people give them that approach. Like, you can't back down. What are you going to do about it, man? Like, divorce, lose your job, wife cheats on you. Your kid has cancer. You have cancer. What, like, the worst stories you can imagine. Okay, now what? Like, what are you going to do? That's our message that we're trying to spread, and we're just trying to reach as many people. But I guess back to your question, like, if everyone on 725, like, hey, some self-reflection, like, what the hell are we doing with our lives? And then, like, be honest. Honesty. Like, a little bit of honesty, please. Can you be genuine? (laughs) Like... I love honesty. Like, let's just talk about real shit. I don't even know if any of that made sense. I may have butchered that.
4: No, no,
5: that was great. That was great. great. I kind of want to close it off with, I know a lot of people when they go to trauma or or something happens to them, they kind of want to share their story so that other people learn from them, right? So they don't commit the same mistakes they made. If there's any that maybe you thought you had made, you know, through this journey. What's that one message that you advise people to do that you wish you would have done more of? before the accident.
2: Oh, talk. Like talk about how you feel. I wish I told Courtney more often how much she meant to me and and I wish I told my kids more often how much I love them. I wish I I didn't talk to my brother Race. Like and and it's weird because mourning over my wife and kids is different than mourning over my brother. When I mourn over my brother race, there's a lot of guilt there. I wish I had a better relationship with him. Why didn't I talk to him more? Why didn't I let him know like that he was one of my heroes? I looked up to him. And then talking about your pain, this is a bad thing we have going on in our culture. Like, listen, talking about your pain is just, everyone needs to talk about it. Just like you need food and water or sex even, like whatever, like think about how often you need those things. Talking about your pain is the same way. And that's something that I've learned. Like, I need to talk about it daily. That's the amount of pain I have. If I don't talk about it daily, I'm in trouble. I'm going to start drinking or punching myself or whatever. It gets dark pretty damn quick. I have to talk about it. But we kind of have this culture of, okay, funeral, we talk about them, done.
3: Hmm.
2: No, you got to talk about them every month. To really help you. And we can be done. Let me just say this one last quick story. Because I thought this is really cool. So I speak. I go to Virginia. I speak at this juvenile detention center. After I speak. The principal. Or like the guy of this. Of this school. Of the juvenile detention place. He's walking us out. And he's telling us. You know how good we did. And blah blah blah. And you can tell. Like he's not crying. But he's emotional. He looks at me. He's like. I don't know how you're able to do that. Because my dad. And he talks about his dad. Nine years ago. He's like, that happened nine years ago, and I I can't even do what you're doing. And I looked at him, and I said, I'm like, it's because you never talk about it. When's the last time you talked about it? And he was like, he didn't even know the last time he talked about it. That's a big part of trauma, I think, is you need to keep talking about it. But what's tough for people is you don't want to sound like a victim. You don't want to sound like a crybaby. So it's really unhealthy. So what we have to do a better job of is figuring out a healthy way to allow people, in my opinion, especially men, to talk about their feelings. Okay, talk about it. You're not a victim yet. You're just talking about your pain. Okay, you talked about your pain. Now, 1090. Now, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to... Look for handouts and be a victim, or are you going to try to help people with it? And I know I already said that before, but that's one thing I'm learning going through my trauma that I want other people to know: you got to keep talking about it. You got to keep doing it. You can't just do it one time.
5: Well, thank you so much, Mason, for you, uh,
4: Mason. sharing your story. Happy Father's Day! Happy early Father's Day to you. Thank you for for being so open here. I think all of us are are taking away quite a bit. I think above all, also gratitude for the lives that we have, right? If anything, for those of us who haven't been through something like you have, I think for me on a personal level, you give me a lot of perspective and you're right. A lot of the things that, you know, sometimes we get caught up in with stress are not a big deal. So thank you for for your openness and thank you for that reminder. You, You said at some point people listen to me because there's a sad story attached to
5: you know, to my testimony, but I honestly disagree. I think people are listening to you because you're being honest, you're being Mm -hmm. vulnerable and you're speaking with purpose, right? So it's not just about you. It's the bigger picture. And I think whenever you're out there trying to help others is when you really could create a, a movement. So we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much again and happy Father's Day.
1: Thank you so much. It was awesome.